0: Father, and our God who art in heaven, we are so thankful for the blessing of your Sabbath. Thankful, dear God, for the opportunity at such a time as this to gather together as family to worship you. And Lord, as we have gathered here, we claim your promise that where two or three are gathered together in your name, there you are in the midst of them. Father, the message hasn't even begun, but I cannot help but feel blessed knowing that beautiful are the feet of they that proclaim your gospel. Father, I even want to mention the family of our brother Russ who rests in the grave, knowing, O God, that one day soon those beautiful feet, by thy grace, shall stand again on the sea of glass. Abide with us, Lord. Cleanse us of our unrighteousness. Prepare our minds for what we are about to hear. Hide me in the cleft of the rock, my Savior. And may Jesus be seen is our prayer in his name. Amen. Happy Sabbath. Sabbath. Happy Sabbath, my friends. I'm going to stop calling you my friends from now on. Is that all right? Only if I have a better name, right? I would like to call you family this morning. Happy Sabbath, my family. Uh, So far during my time here, Sister Ashley, my wife, and I have been very blessed. I want to say thank you again to the Bernardo family for treating us as family since we've gotten in Michigan and for keeping in contact with me uh, during my time back in New York. Sister Ashley and I were talking just yesterday when we first got here, and you know, uh, I mentioned last night that we were married three weeks ago. Praise the Lord. Praise God. You know, the Bible says, taste and see that the Lord is good. And I've been tasting and seeing that God is, in fact, good, beloved. God cares for our happiness. And Sister Ashley and I uh, have been setting up our new new home in Troy, New York, back in Albany, not too far from there. And as we've spent this past week setting up our home, moving in the furniture, driving the U-Haul to and fro, that's the mileage faster. Driving back and forth. We're building the home, and as we're laying the foundation, uh, we're realizing that this simple building has become a place of great importance to us. Yesterday evening, I was talking with Ashley, and Ashley was in tears. Do you mind if I? She was in tears. And she was saying to me, you know, uh, honey, I, I, I miss home. We haven't been there for a week yet, but I miss it. And so we said a prayer uh, before we went to sleep, uh, the night before, we said, Lord, please, we know that we're amongst family. Make this place a home for us. I believe that if we're home, we're in a good place. I believe that if we're amongst family, we're amongst good, good company. And let me tell you something, beloved. After last night's message, Sister Ashley and I went home, no more tears, smiles, song, prayer. And I was, telling to, I was talking to her and I was like, you know, I spoke with a young man, a brother last night, his name was Joshua, came right up to me and I spoke with him. And you know, Sister Ashley has a brother who lives in California, you know what his name is? Joshua. And so I'm sitting here and I'm saying, Lord, even the very names are coming around. People are coming around and they're, they're sharing the warmth and the courtesy. Beloved, we have no idea just how far common courtesy can go. And so we feel at home. Praise the Lord. I want us to turn in our Bible to the book of James chapter 5. Our sister did a great job reading that just this morning for us. And I want to turn our attention to there once again as we move forward in today's message. In the book of James chapter 5. In the book of James, chapter 5, we're going to begin at verse 7. Are we there? Amen? The Bible says, Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. Behold, the husbandman waiteth for the precious fruit of the earth, and hath long patience for it until he receive the early and the latter rain. Be ye also patient establish your hearts do what establish your hearts for the coming of the lord draweth nigh grudge not one against another brethren lest ye be what condemned behold the judge standeth before the door the bible commends us in following the lord's example of being patient The Bible also mentions that we should grudge not one against another, lest we be condemned. Now often, when we think about the judgment of God, it's easy to recognize that if I continue to be a liar and I don't submit myself to Christ to to, to make me able to tell the truth, then I'll find myself lost. It's easy to see that if I was a murderer, and I don't submit myself to the Lord for Him to enable me not to kill, but to preserve life, that I would be lost. All these things are easy to see, beloved, but how easy is it to see that in the way we treat one another, we are preparing to either fail or pass the judgment of God. The Bible says that if we're grudging one against another, that we're preparing to be condemned. Now, I believe that there is not one person under the sound of my voice this morning who wants to be condemned, amen? I almost want to say there is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, but I'd be running ahead of myself in the message. Beloved, there is a place, and the place is a person. And so long as we abide in that place, do you know that it is impossible for us to grudge one against another? Do you know that if we're seeking to fix our families and to restore our homes, that we need to worry about where we are located before we worry about what we do? You see, a plant that is placed in the right soil never has to worry if the fruit will bear. Isn't that right? If a man takes a uh, uh, well, Lord, let me. What fruit do I want to? What fruit would I want to pick? I like mango, so is that, is that all right? I'm going to use a mango example. If a man takes a mango seed for a mango tree and he plants it in the right soil, what can he expect to be born? Mangoes. Praise the Lord. If a man plants tomatoes, and he plants them in his field, that man can expect to come back right on time and receive every cucumber he planted from that tomato seed. Amen? My sister, they're laughing at me, so I must have said something wrong. We know that that's not correct. The fruit that we expect is determined by the seed that we plant. Isn't that right? So if a man plants tomatoes, let me see how many of us understand gardening, what should the man be expecting? Praise God. And if a man plants mango seeds, he can expect a mango tree that will bear mangoes. Beloved, there is a seed. The Bible speaks in Genesis 3.15 about how God would put enmity between the seed of the woman, that is his church, you and I, and between the seed of the enemy, and that God would bruise his head and he would bruise his heel. Beloved, Jesus is the seed of the woman, and I promise you, and I'm speaking from practical experience, daily I'm experiencing this thing, if Christ, the seed of God, is planted in you and I, then the fruit that we bear will be that of Christ. I want that seed, what do you say? The Bible said, Grudge not one against another, lest he be condemned. I want to start by telling you a, a small story that the Lord was just sharing with me there. Um, on the importance of your influence and my influence. Now, naturally, when there is an evangelistic series going on, uh, members tend to put the bulk of the work on guess who? The minister. You've been there before, Pastor. They, you know, they're expecting the pastor to do all the prayer, the pastor to do all the reaching out, the pastor to do all the talking with the people. Beloved, there are people that are sitting right beside us who only we have been given the power to reach. There's a story of a young man who went to a series. Uh, let's give it a name. Let, let's call it... Uh, how's Jesus on Prophecy sound? That sounds fine to me. The young man went to a series called Jesus on Prophecy. And the young man was listening to the minister as he spoke. The first night they, they went through something, uh, what is the gospel? And he learned that Jesus Christ is in fact the gospel. That the gospel is not a thing, but it is a person. That God desires a close and intimate and personal relationship with him. And as the young man was listening to the minister, he's listening and he's hearing these words. And he's saying to himself, Lord, this is profound. This, this is wonderful stuff, but... but But that minister doesn't understand what I'm going through in my personal experience. I'm hearing about the sacrifice of Jesus, but the minister that's preaching it doesn't know anything about what's going on at my job. Knows nothing about being laid off. Nothing about quarreling with my wife or with my husband. They don't know these things. And the young man is pressed down by these burdens. And guess what? The meeting ends. And he goes home with those same burdens. By the grace of God, he comes back the following night. And as he's listening to the minister go through where is Jesus and why the delay, he's hearing again. And and, and if you were with him in his home, you would know that this young man was struggling with thoughts of suicide. It got so bad that the young man is thinking to himself, Lord, I, I, I can't stand to be alive. The minister is preaching and it sounds good, but he doesn't know. The young man came to church that afternoon and he listened to the message. And there was a church member that came up to the young man. You know what the church member says? The church member says, good evening, how are you? Shakes his hand and walks away. Now, I want you to follow really carefully because I've always found this very interesting. You know, we, we tend to use words but not recognize what we're saying or what we're inviting when we speak. When you shake the hand of the young man and you say, how are you? And you walk away, do you see that you opened the door for him to tell you what was going on, but you didn't listen? So the young man is sitting there and somebody walks up to him, how are you, my brother? The young man says, well, you know, I've been, amen. Amen. How can you ask me how I'm doing and not listen long enough to hear the answer? But there was one member by the grace of God. I believe it was you. One member sitting right there in the pew beside that young man. That young man, he's sitting there and he's, he's frustrated now. You know, these people don't really care. He's getting up, he's about to walk out of the church, and the member stops him. Hold on, brother, hold on, hold on. Did you like what you heard this evening? The young man says, yes, you know, I, I, it was wonderful. It was, it was great to hear about the sacrifice of Jesus and how he's coming back and how he's a personal God. It, it's wonderful. Well, will you be there tonight? The young man says, to be honest with you, I'm I'm not I'm not really sure. I've been going through a lot at home. And to be very honest, I've been, I've been struggling. The young man doesn't tell the church member anything about the suicide that he's contemplating because, you know, often we don't let all our dirty laundry out. There's enough for you to know that there's something to be cleansed, but not enough for you to understand the details. Isn't that right? So the young man is sitting there and, he, and he's talking with this person. And the person says, do you mind if I pray with you? The young man's eyes go wide. I've been here for two, three, four, five nights. Not even the minister has prayed with me. You want to pray with me? He says, sure, what what can it hurt? And they kneel down together, and they pray. And the individual that's praying with the young man, you know what he says? He says, Lord, I pray that this brother here understands that you love him. Lord, yes, the Bible does say, for God so loved the world. But what good is it for this young man to hear about your love for the world if he doesn't know that you love him? In Jesus' name. Amen. The young man came to tears in his eyes, crying. Now the church member thinks that they they said a bad prayer, because why are you crying? And the young man looks up and he says, you have no idea what I have been going through at home, what I have suffered. Just before I came to this meeting, the gun was in my hand and loaded, and the Lord said, go to this one last meeting. And as I sat there with the gun in my hand, I said, Lord, I hear the minister. But, but for some reason, what he's saying is not enough to reach me. I hear what evangelist Paul Punch is saying. But if you love me, then you're going to have to tell me that personally. And if you can do that for me, dear Lord, I will never pick up that gun again. Do you understand that what the minister could not do from the pulpit... What the evangelist did not have the words to say, the individual in the pew had the power to say. That individual could have left the series and you would have never seen them again, probably never have come to your mind again. All you did was pray with them, my brothers and sisters. But exactly what they asked God for, God gave to you. I think that it is important for us to recognize that we are all a part of God's plan to reach the other people out there. It's not about the minister. I stand here, I'm a weak vessel, but I'm thankful for that. You know, The Bible says, uh, I may be one of the few people that you ever meet that will proudly tell you that I am weak, that I am, that I am miserable, poor, blind, naked, all those things. But the Bible says that in weakness, God's strength is made perfect. And so I'm thankful to be weak, amen? Because I serve a mighty God. Now, today we're gonna to be talking about something I've entitled a time for reconciliation. What is it called? Do you believe that God is interested in reconciling our families one to another? Do we know that when we come to church on Sabbath and we say, Happy Sabbath, brother so-and-so, or happy Sabbath, sister so-and-so, we are implying that the church is what? Family. And God is interested in restoring his church to that family uh, relationship. Now on your screen, you'll see a family uh, silhouette. And in between them, there is a line of division. You see mother and daughter, possibly brand new baby son or something like that. But the father is all the way over here, isn't he? Now, is that the picture that God made in Eden? When God created Adam and Eve, Adam was so happy. Adam said, bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she came out of man. God's desire for the family is for us to be one, amen? In the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, I want you to see something. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, the Bible says something very important about you and I and our ministry, our work in this generation. In the book of Isaiah, chapter 58, we're going to read from verse 12. Speaking of you and I prophetically, the Bible says, And they that shall be of thee shall build the old waste places, Thou shalt raise up the foundations of many generations, and thou shalt be called the repairer of the breach. The repairer of the what? The breach. The restorer of paths to dwell in. Do you know that God's plan for everyone in this room is for you to be a repairer? For you to be a restorer of that which has spoiled, that which the devil has sought to break down. Satan is trying to divide the families. And God's plan to restore that is you and I. Now this division right here between this family on the screen, that's a breach, isn't it? The Bible says we're to be repairers of that, restorers of that. I believe that we're living in a generation where God will restore. God will build up again. Do you know that it is possible? Anything of importance that we hold in significance, it took time to build that. Do you know that if given the right amount of time, it is possible to restore love that was once lost? it is possible to restore relationships that were once great but have broken down. As I heard the young people this morning, precious in the Lord's eyes, I heard the the answer to what is reconciliation? And simply put, our sister said, reconciliation is what? Reconciliation is restoration. It's, it's, It's fixing the problems that were there. The relationship was great before, but something has happened to break it down, and reconciliation is simply fixing the problem. Isn't that fairly simple? Reconciliation is fixing the problem. Now in this room, are there any who are familiar with uh, woodwork or do any repairs or building? So then you know that the things that are broken down don't necessarily have to be thrown away. All they need is the right touch. Beloved, Jesus has the right touch this morning. All we need is the right touch, to restore what has been broken down. On the left side of the screen, I believe that this is a more accurate picture of God's design for his family. Rather than us being separated, as we look towards Jesus, do you know that the distance between husbands and wives begins to close? The distance between uh, fathers and their sons, it begins to close. The gap, the breach begins to be repaired. But I want us to understand this morning that God is an on-time God. What sort of God is He? Now, that simply means that God is punctual. You know, some of us may have uh, difficulty getting up out of bed on time, difficulty uh, making breakfast on time. Some of, us, some of us eat brunch, Sister Ashley. Now, I'm not saying that's a problem. I'm just saying that you, you, you blended the times together because you couldn't wake up for the one or the other. God is an on-time God. And I believe that God's interest today is to fix the family, guess how, on time. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3 and verse 1, let's turn there. Ecclesiastes, chapter 3 and verse 1. It's the book right after the book of Proverbs. And Proverbs is the book right after the book of Psalms. Ecclesiastes, chapter 3. The Bible says, to everything, how many things? everything. There is a season and, to, and a time, beloved, to every purpose under the heaven. The Bible says that there is a time for every purpose under heaven. Is it God's purpose to restore our families? Yes. Is there a time in which we have been given to get that done? Now, I told us last night that we are already living on borrowed time. If we are studying the message that God has given to this church, then we understand that as of the year 1888, when God sent that most precious message through elders A.T. Jones and E.J. Wagner, the message of justification by faith, the third angel's message in verity, the message that is designed to reach the entire world, the loud cry message, beloved. Since that very year, do you understand that in a very short time, Jesus could have returned? Now, if you don't believe me, you can ask me in the back and I'll share with you quotation after quotation. We can go through the Bible and I will show you that in 2021, we are living way beyond the time that Christ could have returned. Now if you're wondering why that is, you're going to have to be there this afternoon and you're going to have to bring a friend. Where is Jesus? Why is there such a long delay? What does this minister mean by 1888? and God being able to return from so long ago, but we're still here 2,000 years beyond the words, I am coming quickly. Is that something you want to know the answer to? On our screen, beloved, we are told in Galatians chapter 4, proving that God is an on-time God. The Bible says, but when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son made of a woman, made under the law, to do what? Redeem them that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. Beloved, the Bible is simply saying that the redemption price was paid on time. In the fullness of time, Jesus came. I want you to understand that Jesus does not play hide and seek. Jesus is not in heaven today saying, uh, uh, ready or not, here I come. Eeny, meeny, miny, go, miny, mo. pick a date and here we go. That is not how Jesus operates, beloved. Some of us think that we are waiting for Jesus, but when you study the word of God, you will see that Christ is such a gentleman, that it's not the bride who's waiting on the bridegroom, rather it is the bridegroom who is waiting on the bride waiting for us to get our families, our homes in order, waiting for us to put aside the grudging and the difficulties and the quarrelings and the arguings and to come together in the unity of the faith. Jesus is waiting, beloved. More on that this afternoon. But what we see from the Bible is that when the fullness of time was come, the price for our redemption was paid how? On time. Is it enough for Jesus to pay for something? I ask the question backwards. I'll ask it the other way. How many of you have ever made a purchase? You see, that was just a test. I wanted to see all the hands go up. I see everybody in some clothes. Now, unless it was donated, you, you spent some money, amen? You got your shoes on. Beautiful are the feet of those that preach the gospel. Praise God. You got your shoes on. Everyone in this room has, I don't care if it's a penny, five cents, we have purchased something at some point in our experience. I remember back when you could buy a mint for five cents, and I used to buy those things all the time, Sister Ashley, and I'd stuff them in my pocket, I would go to church, and my pocket would look like this, and everyone would wonder what was in there. You know what Brother Paul would do? I'd sit there and I'd eat the mint, and the mint was good, praise God, but I made a purchase even at that age. There are children in this church who have made purchases by the grace of God, funded by their parents, but they've made a purchase. That's the point, amen? How many of you would make a purchase and then walk out of the store without what you bought? Somebody might be saying, well, 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 you know, there are times, Brother Paul, where I'll purchase something and I might leave the change because it's like five cents and I don't really, you know, it's not that significant to me. But if it was something that I thought was valuable, let's say you bought a pair of shoes. I know uh, uh, in my generation, there are young people, we buy shoes and sometimes shoes, shoes are expensive, beloved. A good pair of shoes. You may purchase it, you make an investment, uh, a hundred-something dollars, you get the shoes and you go back. Would you leave the shoes in the store? Would you leave the coat that you bought in the store? Would you leave the gift that you bought for your wife, husbands, in the store? You're going to be an unhappy husband if you do that. If you purchased it, then you want to bring it. Say that with me. If you've purchased it, then you want to bring it. We never leave what we purchased. But if God purchased our redemption on time, then we have to understand what he purchased in order to see that we must experience what he purchased, guess how? On time. In the book of Ephesians chapter 5, the Bible says, husbands, love your wives. Even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, why did Jesus die for the church? Red words that he might sanctify and cleanse it. Are we experiencing sanctification and cleansing in our homes? Think about it. That's not a question I want us to answer. I just want us to think. Are we experiencing sanctification and redemption in our home? Because if we're not experiencing it, beloved, we can talk about it all we want. If we're not experiencing it, then what that means is Jesus has purchased something for you and I that we have left on the counter. We need to go back where Jesus purchased it, back to the hill of Golgotha, back to Calvary, and at the feet of the cross, leave with the experience that was purchased for you and I. Christ also loved the church, and he gave himself for it, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word. That he might present it to himself a glorious church. Now, that's interesting. The Bible says that Jesus intends to sanctify and cleanse us with the washing of water, how? By the Word. What is the significance of the Word of God? If God says, let there be light, what is the result? There is light. If God says, be ye holy, even as your Father in heaven is holy, is there power in the Word to accomplish the task? Beloved, we are creationists, amen? Seventh-day Adventists, we believe in the power of creation. We believe that when God gives his word, whatever the word contains will accomplish the purpose to which he sent it. The Bible says that he would cleanse us and sanctify us by that same creative word, that he might present the church to himself, a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Beloved, if this is not our experience, if this is not what we're, we're, we're experiencing day by day, do you understand that we're not on Jacob's ladder yet? Now, I said God is an on-time God. And I believe that today it is not too late. Today it is not too late, beloved. We may be at the very bottom of the step. Do you know that Jesus can take a man from the bottom of the step and lead him to the top of the Mount Zion with the 144,000 that stand with the Lamb? Do you know that Jesus is actually able to do that? It doesn't matter what your experience is right now. The fact that you are in a room where you can hear the creative word of God means that God has plans for you, guess when? Right now. However we walked into this building, we don't have to walk out the exact same way. There's creative power in the word of God. Do we believe it? Christ has purchased an experience for you and I. Now on our screen here, we have... The gathering of a harvest. And last night we spoke about the gospel of Jesus Christ, that gospel of the first, second, and third angel's message that concludes with the harvest of the earth. It concludes with the what? Harvest of the earth. Now, a harvest is a gathering time, isn't it? When the time for harvest comes, is it the time to plant? No. It's not time to plant and harvest. In harvest, it's time to gather what was already planted. Amen. How many of you like apples? A little bit more hands, okay, praise God. We like apples. Now, the sister on the screen, she loves apples, clearly. She's eating that thing all around and she's gonna get rid of it in a few seconds. She's eating the apple because she loves it. Now, if a farmer were to take that same seed and plant it and come back and get lemons, beloved, do you think that farmer would be happy? (laughs) Now, that baby looks like he wasn't expecting that at all. That's a completely different taste. What we plant, that is what we should expect to experience. What God has planted, Jesus has the right to experience in our lives. Did you know that the Bible refers to Christ as the husbandman, James chapter 5? It refers to him as a father, him and his father. They are farmers, beloved. They have planted something in you and I, and they are expecting a return. Jesus is expecting a harvest of righteousness. How many of us in this room are righteous? Now, if you understand the message that God has given us, we know that the only answer to that question is Christ is my righteousness. Amen? Amen. Christ is our righteousness. I may not be righteous of myself, but Christ has the ability, or rather the, the, the right to expect a harvest of righteousness in me because the Father has planted Christ, guess where? In you and I. I want to show you this from the Bible. In Christ's Object Lessons, page 68, we're told, The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. This fruit, beloved, can never perish. But it will produce, after its kind, a harvest unto eternal life. The next word is when. What's the next word? The word when implies a specific time, doesn't it? If I told you that I was going to come by your house, you would ask me, first you might ask me why, and it would be for Bible study, praise the Lord. But you would ask me when. Because you'd want to make sure that if I'm coming by, uh, my wife and I, that we would be there at the right time, and that you would be there to meet us. Isn't that right? The question when implies what time. Inspiration says when the fruit is brought forth, what's the next word? Immediately. What does that word mean, beloved? It means after 2,000 years. No? It means after 176 years. No. The word immediately means as soon as I see it, I'm there. When the fruit is brought forth, immediately he Putteth in the sickle, because the harvest is come. Christ is waiting. With longing desire for the manifestation of himself in his church, when the character of Jesus shall be perfectly reproduced in his people, then, and not a moment before, beloved, When the character of Jesus is perfectly seen in our homes, then and not a moment before, he will come to claim them as his own. Now, I want to show you from the Bible why it is that Jesus expects this. Go to Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1. Why should Jesus, these may be things that some of us, you know, have thought about before. We've heard about it before. And by the grace of God, now we're hearing it again. Jesus expects righteousness in my life. But Jesus, why would you expect that from me? Don't you know what I listen to, Lord? Don't you know what I eat, Lord? Don't you know what I enjoy? Lord, I don't even like Bible study, but you're expecting your character to be perfectly reproduced in me? How and why? Genesis chapter 1. Genesis chapter 1, beginning at verse 11. The Bible gives us a very important principle. The Bible says, And God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed, and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind. After what? God has placed a principle in the Bible that whatever the seed is that is planted, you can expect a harvest after its kind. Amen? Now, in the book of Galatians, chapter 3, the Bible speaks of Jesus in a very specific and particular context for this message. Galatians chapter 3. We saw in Genesis chapter 1 that if the seed is planted, you must expect a harvest, not after some other kind, but after the kind of seed that has been planted. Amen? Galatians chapter 3 and verse 16. The Bible says, now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not unto seeds, plural, as of many, but as of one, and to thy seed, which is Christ. Did you know that Christ was a seed, beloved? Follow the train of thought, because we're coming to a close. Follow the train of thought. The Bible said in Genesis chapter 1 that any seed that is planted, we should expect a harvest to be produced after its kind. Now the Bible says that Jesus is a seed. So if that seed is planted in you and I, beloved, then what sort of harvest could God expect of our lives? Jesus can expect us to look just like him. Amen. In fact, in 1 John the Bible confirms this again. We're going to go just for a little while longer and then we're going to come to a close. 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 3 actually. 1 John chapter 3. Are we there? Beginning at verse 7. Little children. Who's God speaking to? Little children. That's you and I. Let no man deceive you. He that doeth righteousness is righteous even as he is righteous. He that committeth sin is of the devil. For the devil sinneth from the beginning... And for this purpose, the Son of God was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Whosoever is born of God doth not commit sin. Why? For his seed remaineth in him, and he cannot sin because he is born of God. The Bible says that when Christ, the seed, is planted in you and I, it's not enough that the seed was planted, the seed must remain. And if Christ remains in you and I, then the harvest he is expecting, he has right to it because every seed must produce after its own kind. Beloved, I came here this morning to tell you good news. The Father in heaven has planted the seed of Christ, our righteousness, in our homes. And he has a right to expect the righteousness of Christ in our homes because that seed is not impotent, but it is omnipotent. And it will accomplish the task for which God has planted it. Do we believe this? Do we believe that Jesus can make of our homes what heaven says a home ought to be? That God can take a family like you and I and make us a little heaven on earth? Do we believe that? Are we experiencing it yet? Are we experiencing it yet? The harvest will happen on time, beloved. The Bible confirms this. In the book of Revelation, chapter 14, where the Bible says, And I looked, and behold, a white cloud. And upon that cloud one sat like unto the Son of Man. Who is that? That's Jesus. Having on his head a golden crown, and in his hand a sharp sickle. And another angel came out of the temple, crying with a loud voice to him that sat on the cloud, and he said, thrust in thy sickle and do what? Reap, for the time is come for thee to reap, for the harvest of the earth is ripe. The Bible says that the harvest of the earth is going to happen on time. And I'm going to tell you again, beloved, that if we're not experiencing what Jesus purchased for us yet, it is not too late today to begin that process, to begin to experience victory after victory. We must experience salvation on time, further evidence. In Jeremiah chapter 8 and verse 20, the Bible says, the harvest is what? Past. The summer is ended and we are not saved. Now, if the harvest is past, my friends and the summer is ended, and we're not saved, that implies that the time to experience salvation is not after harvest, not after the summer, but during the harvest and during the summer. What do you say? It has to happen on time. Proverbs 10 confirms. It says, he that gathereth in the summer is a wise son. Is Jesus wise? So then when would he gather, my brothers and sisters? According to the text. In the summer that gathereth in the summer is a wise son, but he that sleepeth when in harvest is a son that causeth shame. Beloved, are we sleeping in a time of gathering? Are we sleeping in a time where God has sent the very special message of the latter rain to produce the increase and the harvest that he's expecting? Are we sleeping or are our hands on the plow? Are we busy workers for Jesus Or are we sons and daughters that cause shame? Beloved, there's a balance that needs to be had in you and I between Martha and Mary. You guys know who Martha and Mary are, correct? Mary was the one who took time at Jesus' feet. Martha was the one who wanted the house clean. Does God care if we have a clean house? Yes, he does. Yes, he does. You know, the Bible says, unto 2,300 days, then shall the sanctuary be cleansed. Jesus is cleanly. He, he, He cleans what he wants to introduce us to. So God does care about a clean house. But the better part, the Bible says, Mary had. Because she understood that while my house must be clean, I need to take personal time at the feet of Jesus. I need morning and evening devotion with myself, with my wife, with my children. These are things that are necessities to bring us closer to Jesus right on time. Can Jesus do it? We don't know. Jesus can do it, beloved. Can we do it by ourselves? The Bible says without the Bible says, without me, you can do how much? But with God, all things are possible. I'm not gonna go into these two men right here, beloved, but I'm gonna let you know right now that if it wasn't for the message and the work that God rose up and did through these two men, I could not stand here today and talk with you as I'm talking to you right now. The reason why I can talk to you about a harvest, beloved, is because God did something marvelous and special in the year 1888 that was designed to bring that harvest to fruition. Now, if you've ever done any gardening, you know that sunshine and seed planting is not enough. We need rain. What do we need? Beloved, do you know that if we're praying for rain, but we don't know what to expect, when the rain comes, it will go right over our heads, and we will lack the experience. Sister Ashley, if I asked you for a dollar, but I never understood what a dollar looked like, and you gave me 100 pennies, I see the 100 pennies, I say to myself, brother, these are pennies. I didn't ask her for pennies. I asked her for a dollar, and I throw the 100 pennies in the garbage. Have I missed my opportunity to get what I asked for? What what if you gave me 10 dimes or 20 nickels? Are all of those things dollars? Yes. But unless I understand what I'm asking for, when God gives to us the rain that we have asked for and we don't know what rain looks like, beloved, we find ourselves destitute, dry as the hills of Gilboa, and lacking in the experience that we should have at this time. I'm closing right now. We're told that the message that Jones and Wagner brought is the third angel's message. It is what? The third angel's message. And we're gonna be going through that during Jesus on Prophecy. So if you don't know what it is, spend time with us. Inspiration says God's purpose in giving the third angel's message. In other words, God's purpose in giving the message that he gave through Jones and Wagner to the world is to prepare a people to do what? Stand. Beloved, God is preparing a people to stand. Do you know the Bible says that a house that is divided against itself cannot stand? So then when we talk about preparation for the coming of Christ, when we talk about preparing a people to stand, when we talk about the third angel's message, Can we not see that God's first work must be to unite what was once divided? To bring us back together, to unite husbands and wives, sons and daughters, mothers and fathers, to bring us back into close fellowship with him. I was gonna go into it today, beloved, but I'll let you know right from the pulpit, the reason why we fail to experience reconciliation with our loved ones is because we think so differently from God. Is there anyone in this room who believes that they are not reconciled to Jesus Christ? Do you know that there are people out there in the world who do think that? They believe, I can't possibly go to church today, Sister Ashley, I can't go, because God would never uh, uh, excuse somebody like me. God doesn't, listen, the, the minister doesn't understand the skeletons that are in my closet, what I have done, my resume of sin, God does not know the skeletons that are in my closet. Beloved, that is not true. Do you know that the place of Calvary where Jesus was crucified, it was called Golgotha, which in the scriptures is told, it means the place of a skull. That means that every skeleton in your closet, I don't care what it is that you have done, every single one of them was crucified at the feet of Jesus. The Bible preaches that God was in Christ. Reconciling the world unto himself. Beloved, we didn't look for reconciliation with God. But reconciliation with God has come to you and I. When we're dealing with one another, that is the same mindset we ought to have. When someone has wronged you, are you waiting for an apology? How many of you apologized to Jesus before he died? Now, if you said you did, I would say that... You're going to have to explain that to me from the Bible. Because we're in the year 2021, and that was way back there in 31 AD, was it not? The Bible says that Christ was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. That means that before any of us existed, it doesn't matter if it's Adam and Eve, all the way down to the last man, before any of us existed and had an opportunity to sin and to be distanced from our father, God had already purposed in his mind to be reconciled with you and I. We don't look for reconciliation, beloved, and neither should our loved ones, husbands, wives, children. We should not be looking to the person that has wronged us for them to come and apologize. No, be like Jesus by the grace of God. Go to them and bring reconciliation. Do you know that if I wrong you, I'm aware of it? Yeah, the Bible calls it guilt. You know when you've wronged somebody, when you've cut that person off on the road, and rather than praying for them that the finger went up, you know what I'm talking about. You know when you've wronged somebody. Do you know that when the person you have wronged comes to you and says, my brother, I want to pray with you, that there is power in what they're doing. Because in our natural minds, it makes no sense. I did that evil thing to you. I said those hurtful words. Why are you seeking to be reconciled with me? The Bible says we love because Jesus first loved us. The one thing that we need in order to do as Christ has done is to know and actually believe what He has done. If God has reconciled Himself unto me, beloved, I can't but be reconciled unto you. Now that's not an invitation to step on my toes. I'm simply saying that should it happen, my disposition, your disposition should be that of those who are seeking reconciliation. Whether we've wronged or whether we've been wronged, it does not matter. Jesus has paid a price. And when you and I understand that price, beloved, then everyone in whom we come in contact will be treated not according to how we see them, but according to the estimation of the price that has been paid for every soul. Those fingers that go up when we drive, they begin to do this instead. And rather than cursing our brother, we become a blessing. What do you say? God can do it in our families. Do we want God to do that in our homes, for God to reconcile us, beloved? I, I was blessed, and I was telling the pastor just a moment ago as I was looking at, uh, as I was looking at this right here, this program, the Conflict of the Age of the Ages Readathon, beloved. If I had lived in Michigan, do you know that I'd be present for every single reading, by the grace of God? Do you know why? I would be present for the reading because of the relationship I have with the Man Christ Jesus. I would be present for the reading because as you're studying the great controversy, did you know that the great controversy is a custody case? Oh, we didn't know that. Do you know that the Bible says in the book of Luke chapter 3 that Adam was called the son of God? He was called the what? Now, when sin entered into the world, did it bring the son closer to his father, his creator, or did it separate them and drive a wedge? Sin separates us from God. Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and 9. Or is that Isaiah 59, 1 and 2? 59, 1 and 2. Sin separates us from God. The Bible says that talebearing, gossiping, separates even chief friends. There are some of us who practice things that God would never practice himself. Now, if sin separated son from father... And the great controversy is the plan of God to restore that relationship. Then the great controversy, I say again, is a great custody case. And beloved, as we're studying in Jesus on Prophecy, I want you to know even from now that that custody case has already been decided. That custody case, that battle has already been won. Satan may say that he owns you. Do you know the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 30 and 31 that the Father has placed Christ, or rather, the Father has placed you and I in Christ. And the Bible says, if any man be in Christ, he is none of Satan's. Because Satan comes, the prince of this world is come unto Jesus, and findeth nothing in Christ. You don't belong to Satan, beloved, because the case for your custody has already been decided. You are accepted in the beloved. And I think that knowing that will assist us in showing our loved ones that they too are accepted. Before you look for forgiveness you must learn to impart it. Before we look for reconciliation, let us pray for the mind of Christ, that as he thinks in his heart, so shall we be. Amen? I'm going to bow here, I'm going to pray, but I want you, as the Sabbath is still continuing, just have in your mind that Jesus cares about my family. And he is actually able to make me a personal home missionary. Before we think about going out there to reach the world, the little flock that God has entrusted to us. Let us do a work right there. What do you say? Our Father and our God who are in heaven, what a privilege it is to call you Father with the knowledge that we are family. What a privilege it is, oh God, to call Christ our elder brother, knowing that we are family. Lord, I pray for my family that are gathered here with me. Knowing, dear God, that even as the song says, it is me, it is me, O Lord, standing in the need of prayer. Cleanse us of our unrighteousness. Lord, that seed of righteousness, the Lord Jesus, that you have planted in our homes, may it blossom and bloom into the righteousness of Christ, that all may see and glorify our Father which is in heaven and know that you are God. Father, we know what we are. We know how we are. But that is not our consideration this morning. We would see Jesus and turn our eyes upon him and look full in his wonderful face that the things of this earth would grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.